Hey friends, I am Anne Eileen Thompson, and this is the Faith Driven Leader Podcast, where we equip and then we embolden one another toward a career and a life that's built on deep trust in our good, good Father God. We find inspiration in the stories of incredible guests who are letting their faith drive their leadership in their lives and in their businesses. Our guest today is Chris Patton. Chris is the CEO of His Way at Work, which is a nonprofit organization that empowers business leaders to create sustainable cultures of care. Chris and his team work with leaders across so many sectors to implement vision and strategy and an operating system that's built on a foundation of the eternal perspective of our business. In other words, our businesses belong to God before they belong to us, and we're called to steward them well with an eternal perspective in mind. You know, to be honest, when I was running a business, I didn't know that organizations like His Way at Work even existed. As we continue to grow this podcast, I'm finding out that there are so many resources available to Christians in the marketplace. If you're a business owner, I really encourage you to check out His Way at Work. And please feel free to reach out directly to me if you want to talk through other resources that could be a good fit for what you may need to run your business in a faith-driven way. Well, Chris has a pretty amazing story that honestly challenged me to reflect on following God when the results don't look like I think or the world thinks they should. So let's join the conversation right now. Well, Chris Patton, I am so excited to talk to you today. You know, I was telling you earlier that I happened across you and your organization, His Way at Work, when I was at the C12 conference in Denver earlier this year and was just so impressed with what you're doing. So thank you for taking time out of your day to join us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Anne. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I always love to start out a conversation with somebody by learning a little bit about how leadership and faith have kind of shown up for them. So I'm curious, tell us a story, Chris, about a time when your faith really impacted a decision you had to make or something that you needed to do as a leader? That's a good question, Ann. The one that sticks out in my mind is this goes back a few years, 20 years ago, actually. And so in 03, I had been at the tail end of a three-year season where God was showing me that the business I was running, which is our family's group of automobile dealerships, and I'm the oldest of three boys in the third generation of that business. And so I'm running the company at the time. I've been doing it as a believer, as a disciple of Christ in the business, but I wasn't running what I would consider a business for an eternal perspective. I was running, just running business and trying to do it in the right way, morally, ethically, scripturally sound. But I came to realize God actually owned that business. You know, scripture says he owns the earth and everything in it. And I understood that theoretically, but it suddenly became practical. And I realized that he, one, owned the business. Two, I'm a steward. And three, I'm going to be held accountable for the results. And it's not the temporal, the money, the financial results, or even the growth of the company, but the impact it has on people pointing them to him. Yeah. So in 03, I'm just getting started in this. And I'm trying to figure out what in the world does a God-owned, God-driven business look like? I went through a a long series of events that helped me realize that basically the one thing that uh, I needed to be doing was running the business, operating it, making decisions, allocating resources in a way that pointed people to him. Mm. That's it. So um, 
the first decision I made was reading a book called Leading by the Book uh, or Leading Business by the Book. It was um, Larry Burkett. Yeah. And in that, he talked about using Proverbs as a business manual. And I'd never thought of that before. So I put my business glasses on, started reading Proverbs, the first chapter. And the first chapter talks about, you know, beware if your friends say, let's let's hide in ambush and we'll rob the people and loot them and fill our homes with all sorts of stuff. And I'm in the car business and all I see is a car deal. <laughs> wow. And, and so I instantly understood, all right, I've got to do something about this. And I went through a, a research period and came to this one price negotiation free model, much like a CarMax okay. uses. But we threw the switch six months later because I felt strongly convicted. And it was a lot of prayer that went into this. It wasn't just a whim. God wanted me to do this. And within six months, launched it. And this was in June of 04. And we had done pretty good profitability wise. In fact, 01, 02, and 03 had been record, record years. 04, the first half was no different. But in the second half, after throwing the switch, we lost everything we had made the first half of the year. Wow. Our profitability went to fell off the cliff. And we ended the year within a couple digits of being in the red ink. I mean, it was it was less than a thousand dollars of of net profit <laughs> at wow. the end of the year in a in a group of three car dealerships. But I guess and the story can go on and I, I won't take forever on it. But the, the question is about where does your faith impact your leadership? And the decision I made, you know, initially I thought this will be better for our customers, our employees, just the overall picture. What I found was it's a much harder system to run, but I stayed on that system for the next 13 years, despite some of the challenges, because it was crystal clear God was working in the business. It wasn't through financial results, I can promise you, but it was lives changed. It was people coming to see him and seeing faith in action in so many ways that um, it really defied traditional business sense. So sometimes our faith is going to lead us to make decisions that don't make sense in a 30-day or even a one-year financial statement. But in my mind and what I've learned is the faith decision needs to make sense in a thousand-year picture. And if it makes sense in that and God's led it, then you just go all in. That's It's so powerful, Chris. I've been reflecting a lot lately on, you know, in the book of Matthew where it talks about seek first the kingdom and all these things will be given to you. And just before that, it's talking about, don't worry about the clothes on your back. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about that stuff. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be given to you. And and the thing I've thought about, and this relates back to your story, is that, you know, God's provision doesn't always look like dollars and cents. No, it doesn't. Sometimes so, it does. Right. So often it doesn't. Yeah. So so tell us, how did you keep the business going when you had such a lean? Were you able to find other ways to return yeah, some profitability? So the short version, and this honestly is a, it's a long story. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll tell you that it was 13 year famine period for me in one, res- in one respect, and that was in the business results. My dad, who is still in the business at the time, or still owned the business at the time, was not physically in it anymore. He and I were at odds pretty quickly because I'm third generation and I'm about to take it under. Yeah. And 
he let me continue to run it, which was amazing on his part. I can't even fathom uh, doing that with with my son if it was if the roles were reversed. But what we what we ended up doing, I just I was not willing to let go of what God had put on my heart to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I had someone come and visit me, a, a, a pastor that I'd never met was coming through town to visit a friend and the friend brought him to see me, heard my story. And he said, Chris, I believe God's put you on this path, but I want to warn you. God also told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. There's no question he put that on Abraham's heart, but it's also very clear. Abraham was still listening for God to say, change directions or stop or pause, whatever. And he said, I don't get the sense that you are open. He said, I think you've heard direction, pinned your ears back, and you're going to bulldog it. And now it's back to being about you. He said, another example, Mary and Joseph went to the temple with Jesus. And they turned around, took him there for at 12 years old, turned around. They were a day and a half gone before they realized they left him. Yeah. You might have left him. So I started listening carefully and praying for that to change. And for 13 years, it didn't. On the practical side, okay, so it didn't change, so I didn't change it. But on the practical side, I went and found someone who understood this one price system inside and out, had actually helped write a book, a manual on how to do it in businesses, and I hired him. And he came on board and transitioned the sales department in a way that I didn't know how to do it. I'd only grown up in the negotiation phase. And what he was able to accomplish was to get us much, uh, well, get us well away from the danger of constant red ink and into a fairly safe black ink position to the, at least then be able to breathe and operate. Yeah. And we tried many different ways along the years, had some huge successes a year or two, and then just never really felt the huge change or breakthrough that I thought we were going to feel. Um, and like I said, there's a whole lot more to that story, but you know, what I guess the answer to your question, one, is I didn't change the system, even though it was devastating initially, because I was convinced God had me on that path. And I li- listened and asked for 13 years for release and didn't get it. Yeah, I did get it 13 years later. But then on the practical side, finding that one individual to really bring the, the plan into a, a dialed in operation made a big difference. Yeah. Wow. What a story of of sticking to it even though so much pressure was against you. I'm curious when you look back now cuz you're you're not in that role anymore. I want to talk about how you made that shift, but you're not in that job anymore. When you look back on that experience, what would you tell the younger you about how to prepare yourself for something like that or what would you tell a leader who is in a similar position where they feel like they're following what the Lord told them but they're not seeing worldly results? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would tell a younger me or even a leader today in the same situation is the foundation is not necessarily to start when this season's going on, but before the season. And it's Mm. daily time in the Word. And when you're in Scripture daily, and that is changing you, Mm. and you go into this season, you're prepared because you have the right perspective and you understand that Joseph— went through, what, 18 years. Actually, Joseph was 13 years because that was my same period. David was 18 years from anointing to becoming king. There are scriptural examples 
of people that lived through seasons as bad or worse for longer. You know, I can't, I'll tell you this. I kept praying. Once I got past three years, I thought, God, this is crazy. Please don't make me go 40 like Moses did. Yeah. Right? Twice. <laughs> so right. it's, it's endurance is, is difficult. But when you know that, you know, God's got you in it, trusting that he has purposes much greater and much more complicated and much higher than we can imagine or understand and just living that out, trusting him. So for the younger person and the leader, it's, it's a constant reading of scripture. It's just a being able to see examples and let him feed you through that time period. But also realizing that one of my prayers during that season was, God, I feel like I'm being tested. I feel like this is intentional, that you're keeping us from prosperity in this system. Whether that's technically true or not, I don't know. But that was my feeling. I said, here's what I want to ask. Whatever the test is preparing me for, don't let me be found short when that happens. Wow. Yeah. And I can look back today and tell you that that 13-year period prepared me 10x for the job I'm doing today. And I had no clue at the time even to imagine that, right? Yeah. Wow. That That's probably a perfect segue because I was just thinking like, well, now you're, you're leading his way at work after 25 some years, right? In the automotive industry, it's a pretty significant shift. Yeah. Kind of catch us up on the time in between those 13 years and then, yes. then so how you made your way to his way at work. Came out of college in 93 and jumped into the business full time. And by 98 was running our group of dealerships in LaGrange, about yeah. 120 employees, Honda, Ford, Lincoln, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep and Ram, three dealerships side by side, went three years before I really started doing a daily quiet time in 2000 at 30 years old. And it was three years later that I had this decision on the one price, yeah. right? So right. 0304, that happens. And for the next 15 years, I'm running that business from an eternal perspective to the best of my ability, making plenty of mistakes, but trying to imagine or envision a thousand year result timeline instead of 30-day financial statements, which in the car business, it's all about 30 days. I mean, that's right. all you get. And you yeah. start at zero every month. And so that that shift over the 15 years, we brought Corporate Chaplains of America into the business. I joined C12, did a lot of things to try to learn and manage that business in that way. We had some really good successes. And there were some things that I just blew it. I mean, just some big mistakes. But after 15 years of that, um, I got a phone call from a mentor of mine that had been my mentor at that point, five or six years. He was the founder of Corporate Chaplains of America, a guy named Mark Chris. And Mark called me and said, listen, Chris, I've been watching you do your business for the last five, six years. The best friend I have on the planet is a guy named Peter Fryce. And Peter has a business like yours in South Carolina, different business manufacturing. But he said he runs it in much same mindset. And he's looking because he's also birthed or founded a nonprofit out of that business. And that nonprofit teaches other business owners how to do what you guys are doing. And he's looking for someone as a CEO to come in and scale that nonprofit and really take it, take it big. And I said, Mark, I appreciate the call. And, and I, I'm sure it's pretty cool, but I'm leading a family business. I'm 
you know, completely rooted in this thing. I've got two younger brothers and neither are really ready to take over. My dad's not going to want to step back in. We've already talked about that. Said, I just, it's not on my bucket list to, to leave the family business with all the perks and where I'm having impact and yeah. go do a nonprofit, you know, in South Carolina. Yeah. But God made it clear. <laughs> but God. <laughs> but God. So yep. I told Mark, I said, I'll meet Peter. And if God's in it, he makes it clear, then I can't say no. Yeah. Well, I met Peter first week of November. And the first week of January, I had the house on the market and it was sold less than three weeks later. And we had tried a couple of years prior to that for three years and couldn't get a bid. Wow. To sell it. So I have a son that was a junior in college at the time and twin daughters that were just had just gone away as freshmen. So we had just jumped into Empty Nest. My wife was a school teacher and, and the two of us went through that process of, okay, I've met Peter. I've seen what he's doing. And much of what he was doing, I had been writing about in my blog about running this business from that perspective. So there was a lot of like-minded uh, theory there in practice. And so I just told my wife, I said, let's pray about this. If both of us are crystal clear, 100% sure that he's asking us to do this, then we'll do it. But That's I said, if, if either of us are not 100%, then we're not doing this because I need to look back six months or a year from now when it's ridiculously hard having this 13-year period in my head. And I need to know that he put us here, not us. Because yeah. if he put us here and it's hard, he'll get us through. And sure enough, and we prayed about it and he just confirmed and confirmed and confirmed. And over a 60-day picture, he just made it crystal clear. So we jumped. You know, wow. when he put it in your heart, You've got to do what he what he puts there. And so we moved to South Carolina. I started in January. She came up at the end of the, the summer once she finished the school year and spent the summer with the kids. And uh, that first six months was hard, but it's been five and a half years now. And I wouldn't change it for anything. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. You know, it's interesting. We were we were talking before we we got on the recording about, you know, you mentioned your blog, which I want to kind of go back to because it was such a beautiful story you were telling me about this blog that you started and then the connections that ended up happening. Mm -hmm. And and yeah. what I loved about it that I'd love for you to share with our listeners is just the the beauty of how God takes whatever we give him and we can't anticipate what he's going to do with it. Tell us the story about you yeah. started this blog and then what happened. Well, first, my, my wife told me I needed a hobby. And... <laughs> uh I didn't ask why. I had a picture, had an under, thought I knew why, but I wasn't going to ask to be told <laughs> truth that I couldn't handle. So I started trying to figure out what the hobby would look like. And long story short, it turns into writing a blog. And I'm not a writer, didn't, you know, study English in college or anything like that. I was all business and numbers, but became clear, start this blog, called it ChristianFaithAtWork.com. It's still on, on the web. Um, paying to keep it up. I'm just not writing anything anymore. But for six years, I wrote two to three articles a week about in the trenches doing business from a faith perspective, not theory, not theology, just simply a, a business guy who God's gotten a hold of and scripture is pouring through. What do you do in business? How do you make decisions? How do you 
impact employees and families and and how do you not do things because I've made plenty of mistakes and so I start down the path and I'm thinking you know first of all I thought this will be an online diary of sorts I'll be the only one <laughs> writing it and my mother will read it and she'll say you're great that kind of thing <laughs> but uh it it turned into more than that it never was anything significant I never made money off of it but six months in literally six months and and I get an email from a pastor and he says, I've never heard of this business's ministry idea. Could you teach at our church? And I said, man, yeah, I'd love to. Where, where's the church? Now, his name was Rajiv, which should have tipped me off. <laughs> and it didn't. And his reply, this is by email back and forth. He said, it's in Shandigarh, India. And I said, Rajiv, wow, um, thank you, but I don't have any plans to be in India ever. It's I just Googled it. It's 8,000 miles away. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wearing the car well, business. Not I don't yeah, travel exactly. internationally. <laughs> he said, "But you Skype, right?" And I said, "Yeah, of course I Skype." You know, again, this is in 2011, and uh, he said, "Well, I've got a projector and a laptop. I've got a bed sheet that I can hang on the concrete wall of my home, and I've got a generator that'll keep the internet going. You teach, and I'll translate. We'll do business conferences." Wow! And I just thought, "You got to be kidding me." And we did five of those, and he would literally, and he would have 20, 25 people sitting cross-legged on a concrete floor for three hours. Wow. And I'm sitting there going through very basic scriptural concepts of God owns everything. Therefore, he owns our business. He owns our jobs. And he's got eternal purposes for those, and I'm going to be held accountable. And so are you. Went through those, and basically— realized that my small yes and that blog as impactful as it was in some ways to certain people was just nothing impressive but i just said yes and god picked it out of georgia and dropped it in india and so that's been what eight nine years ago no 12 years ago and he's been to the u.s twice we've had a friendship since then i've supported the ministry he does he's got a motorcycle he rides around different villages with a laptop and a generator and the Jesus film on the back of his motorcycle to evangelize (laughs) in an area where it's less than 2% Christian and he's getting persecuted before it. So it's just nuts. And and I also mentioned the other, which was, you know, three, I guess two years in Mike Shero from C12 started reading the blog, but he was just a chair under a chair at the time with C12. And we had a connection for five years before he became CEO of C12 and I did uh, went to meet Peter. And the funny thing is, I didn't tell you, but Peter went to Mike and said, Hey, I want you to interview my new candidate for his way at work. Mike said, sure. What's his name? He said, Chris Patton. And Mike said, Oh, from LaGrange, Georgia. Ah. And <laughs> Peter said, what, how do you know him? Because I've been reading the blog for gosh, it's been three or four years now. We've That's got a good crazy. relationship. So Mike interviewed me for the, his way at work role. It's, I, I love, I love this story because it's such a beautiful example, like I said, of just giving God what you've got and letting him make connections and do the things he's going to do. Even while you're in a place, I'm just, I'm empathizing a bit with where you were at the time, leading this business, not feeling like you're, you're getting the prosperity that you had hoped for, but trying to be faithful and and being faithful to what God told you to do, even though it felt like to probably many people that it wasn't the right thing to do. 
what, yeah. a, what a beautiful example of, of just continuing to pour yourself out. That's really inspiring. I'm glad you shared that. Well, let's shift topics a little bit. So it, with His Way at Work, you work with a lot of companies, you work with a lot of CEOs, and there are a lot of tough topics that people are dealing with these days. When you think about some of the toughest things that you are helping CEOs through, I'm curious, tell us one or two of the tough topics that you're walking people through and what kind of coaching are you giving them? Yeah, so a couple different ways to look at that. And so what we teach business owners um, is a methodology, it's an operating system effectively in their business to help the business owner that is a Christian live out their faith in the business without without using a bullhorn, without hitting people okay. over the head with the Bible, without coming in and preaching, and yet they want to impact their employees. So they don't know how to do that and what are they allowed to do. So, you know, a couple things we do in addition to just the operating system where we teach them a literally a business-like system for deploying funds through a entry-level employee team that determines how it gets spent on their fellow employees and families. We also talk to them about how do you truly love on these employees? And, you know, some business owners will say, well, you know, look at the the cake artist in Denver or the florist in Oregon or, uh, you know, wedding photographer. You know, how how do I live out my faith and not get sued over it? Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the issues today, you look at the news and look at culture coming strongly against the Christian. And it is. You know, it's easy to say, well, we need to kind of, we need to camouflage our faith as we live it out in the business. And the truth is, it's the opposite. And you look at Hobby Lobby getting sued over the the insurance issue. And the reason they won the case is because their Christian values and their Christian mission were so explicitly and clearly stated in all of their founding documents and every behavior that was being held against them was in alignment with their mission, vision, and core values. So the business actually that could get in more trouble is the one that's under the radar with their mission, vision, core values, not explicitly faith-based, and yet tries to do something, one little thing, faith-based, that offends somebody. And then they sue, and they come back, and the court looks at the business and says, nothing you have here says this is what you're about, and yet you go and do something. How could your employees reasonably expect that kind of behavior? It's not fair. It's it's incongruous, and you lose. Versus actually telling people, this is what we believe. We've got rights as business owners. We do not need to discriminate. We need to have reasonable accommodation when people of other faiths ask to be able to do something that we're allowing people of Christian faith to do. So as long as we abide by those things, we're able to do virtually anything we want to do within reason related to our faith, but it's got to be consistent. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So it sounds like it's almost a lot of, and I've I've been having a couple of other conversations in this space recently, but but some of the the legal ramifications or how do we make sure that we're honoring the law and living out our faith in a way that we feel like the Lord's calling us to do. And you, a lot of, it sounds like this system and your coaching really help business yeah, leaders to do that. that. Yeah. Help simplify it. And here's the thing we're not, you know, what, what we attempt to do in the business 
is teach the business owner, their leadership team, and then an entry-level team of employees called the caring team, how to love on and care for employees, period. Mm -hmm. Now, the motivation from the business owner is for their faith to impact people and point them to a loving God. But what we're actually doing is simply meeting physical, emotional, and then spiritual needs of these employees through a systematic approach where we're using financial resources of the business to care for them in times of crisis, right? And so as we do these things, they're going to be Buddhists and Muslims and atheists that are in the employment of our company that are seeking aid. And we're going to love on them as if they believe the same thing we do. And they're going to say, hopefully, prayerfully, why are you doing this? Right? And we get a chance. Hopefully, we've got chaplains in the company. Right? And they're able to answer some of those questions to say, listen, this owner is just so convinced that God is real, that God loves him, that he wants to turn around and love you unconditionally. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it is around those kind of concepts. But at the same time, we've got to terminate employees for no performance or for a cause or for issues, even lying, cheating, stealing from the company. Right. There are tough decisions. How do you do that lovingly? Yeah. How do you do that without coming off as callous and ice cold and and just non-caring? So it's living out your faith, even through hard decisions and terminations or uh, disciplinary actions, that kind of thing, and doing it in a way that gives a second chance, right? Or, for example, one company, if someone gets, uh, they've got absenteeism or tardyism that causes them to, to come into a position of disciplinary action, this company pauses further action until the issue that's causing it is resolved. So, for example, the car is broken down. Yeah. And that's why he continues to be late this last four or five days. So they hit pause, give him immunity until the decisions made to help repair the car with company funds, get him back up and running. And then it's unpaused. Well, if he continues to be late, that's on him. Yeah. But at least there's some relief given while the thing is being adjusted. Yeah. I, that's what a great, what a great, um, reframe of, of those things. And how do we, love folks and hold them accountable and at the same time and and those types of things. I'm curious, when you take on a new, you start working with a new CEO or a new client team, a new, a new company, what are the, what are the most common mindset shifts that people have to make? First is when we first engage them, and I've mentioned a little bit of this before, but most, this is not indicting anybody. Okay. But most churches, most pastors, most ministers do not teach this idea that this business that you have started from scratch is actually God's. Yeah. And you are a steward of it for a season and you have to run it in a way that brings the eternal results that God's looking for, not the ones that you want. And you're going to be held accountable when he comes back. And so this shift is instead of, well, how much out of my funds should I give? How much should I do here for these people? It's okay. If this is all God's, then how much should I keep? And that reversing from how much should I give to how much should I keep is a huge paradigm shift. That is a big shift. When you make that, here's something that allows, and and Mike from Mike Shero from C12 gave this to me from a mentor of his. He said, if you're prayed up, if you are in the, the heart 
my heart set that, God, this is yours. And a problem comes up and you've been acting in a way that says, God, this is yours. Then your prayer is this, God, you've got a problem. (laughs) I love that. I'm running, I'm looking at this business. I'm looking at this particular situation. I don't have an answer for it. This is your problem. It's your business. You've led me here. What do you want me to do? Yeah. And that sounds kind of silly, but it's real. And that shift from ownership to stewardship, the sooner we can get there, not just in our business, but in our life and our kids. Yeah. Right? Recognizing they were his first. Has we're implications everywhere. Yes. Yeah. So it's, that's probably the biggest. Um, the second is this. Even freeing up the funds or the time or the energy to love on these employees, trusting employees with your money to make decisions on how it gets spent. So many of the CEOs will go right from, yes, this is all God's, to I need to control this mm-hmm. because I'm wiser, I'm smarter, I've, I'm better at business. These employees don't, they've never had anybody else's money to manage. How am I going to let them do that? But it's that trusting in his process and in the, the methodology we teach. When you do that, when those employees are empowered with the owner's money, they treat it better than they treated their own. They're, they are hyper attentive to making sure that's impactful. And it changes, a, it throws a switch in the company and the culture starts to rapidly change to one of ownership. Yeah. And all the employees see protecting the culture of the business as part of their responsibility instead yeah. of being recipients of of welfare or assistance. Yeah, really, really good. Even going back to that first one, you talked about that shift from ownership to stewardship. And I was, I love the quote from Mike about, hey, God, you have a problem. And, and thinking that really what I hear you saying is you're equipping leaders to deal with the ups and downs of the business, right? Because when when we get stressed as leaders is most often when we go back into control mode. Sure it is. And, and and I need to solve this problem and and not necessarily really relying on the Lord and asking him first. And similarly, when we're at a high, yeah. we kind of go to that same place where when we're in the middle, I think sometimes it's easier to maintain. But most of the situations, at least for my and my leadership, are those extreme stresses of the really high highs or the really low lows that those are the times I most need to remember to invite God into it and not rely on myself. That's right. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we are just about to wrap up, but before we do, I'd love to know what's what's on the horizon for you? What's on the horizon for His Way at Work that we should be keeping an eye on? Well, I'll launch off of what you just said, and which is, it's that area where we are uncomfortable and have to yield or submit to God's leadership is the hardest, right? We are typically in business, type A, stronger personality, have a little bit better sense of where we want to go, even if we're wrong. And what has been happening with us lately, one, me moving into this job itself caused me to go from a career where I'd grown up in a family business, worked in it 20-something years, ran it for 20 years, had a pretty good handle on what was coming day to day. And suddenly I'm in a place where I don't have a clue. I've never run a nonprofit. I don't have any idea how to manage this concept and and be in this kind of a role and in the industry we're in. So that has been God working on me and challenging me. Well, 
I've been doing it now five and a half years. I feel like I'm getting a handle on it. And then in the last six to 12 months, I've hired four new employees, uh, three of which are executive level employees. And we have really gone back, assessed the success and, and struggles of the last five years and tried to figure out what is coming next and what does God want from this organization in an effort to achieve the mission. And our mission is to inspire and enable or empower Christian business owners to transform their workplaces with God's love. So that's what we exist to do. And the reason we want to do that is to reach the employees and their families to point them to God. They're they're the end goal. The CEOs and owners are the, the gateway. So in the next coming months, we are working on building out an association of consecrated business owners. Now, I'll touch on that in a second. I'll come back to that. But at the same time, we're working on a set of tools, uh, technology tools, um, that will help with the operation of our OS in the company at a desktop interface and an employee app. So that will take further into the business what we're trying to do and, and speed up some of those processes. And that system, those set of tools will be what I would say agnostic to the to the user, right? So okay. it doesn't matter in the employee what faith they are. Sure. And even with the business owner, it doesn't matter if they are, uh, we only deal uh, with Christian business owners. That is our uh, nonprofit charter. But it doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Protestant or where sure. they are in that mix. But here's the thing we found over the last, several months of assessing is there are 10 to 15 organizations like C12, Convene, and others that are targeting the what is typically the Protestant business owner. So they're going after employees in the companies through the Protestant business owners. We looked at how many are are approaching the Catholic business owners to get to the businesses owned by them, and there are none. Okay. And so our association of consecrated business owners is going to be very clearly targeting those Catholic business owners to speak their language. And I'm not Catholic. So here's another challenge, right? Yeah. I'm leading the organization and God's pointing me in this direction, but it's because there's an unfocused market or there's a market where nobody's unmet, really unmet need there. Yeah. Unmet need, right. Yeah. And so we're going into that market. Now, now the leaders that I've hired are Catholic and have that, that understanding and that experience but we're going to speak to those business owners that are Catholic to get to their employees that are everything just like the employees on the Protestant side and point them back to this set of tools that we're going to have. But we're also going to work with those 10 to 15 organizations that are going after the Protestant business owners and give them our content so that they can point them back to these same tools. Yeah. So we're going to meet the market of Catholic business owners and teach them the methodology, build out small groups and chapters and so forth, and then point everybody to these, I would say, agnostic technology yeah. tools and try to hit both markets all with this same set of tools. So that's really exciting. Massive shift. Um, we're excited about it, but we're also, uh, again, having to just go in open handed and, and trust that this is what God's leading us to do. So we're going to get excited about it and do it. It's it's very exciting and and 
a big shift from a business model standpoint or a big addition from a business model standpoint for you guys. So I just bless you with with discernment and clarity as you move into that. And what a great opportunity. I'm sure our listeners, especially the Catholic business owners that are among our listeners will be very interested in seeing what can be, what's unique and how can they find the support that they want. And these tools sound really exciting and and a, a great opportunity for lots of Christian business owners, no matter what denominational background they come from. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. I really love the the conversation about the eternal perspective and the shifting from an ownership mindset to a stewardship mindset. Thank you for bringing that. I loved the conversation about the small beginnings and and how the Lord has used you and what a faithful man you are for following the Lord's lead, even when it didn't make sense to you in the beginning. And it's great evidence of where he's he's got you right now. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me in. And I, and I turned that right back around on you. This podcast you've started, uh, I know he's going to use this in ways that you've not even imagined. So kudos to you. And, and I'll just continue to pray for your success here. Thank you so much. Well, hey, friends, I really enjoyed that conversation. And to be honest, I was really challenged by it. I'm grateful that I can be recording this outro a few weeks post our conversation. And, you know, the Lord's been really working on me on a few things coming out of this conversation. Let me explain. Chris's obedience to the Lord with this non-negotiation pricing made such good sense to me at, at first when he first said it. And then when he started talking about how the prophets bottomed out, I was honestly a bit confused. I am not like a prosperity preacher type of person, but I have to admit that I have a belief that if we follow the Lord's voice, then we're going to have good business results. We'll have great team members show up who want to work for us. We'll land the sale that he prompted us to go after and we'll be profitable. Even if not right away, we will be profitable at some point. This is just a belief I recognize I have been operating on. So Chris went on to share that despite his really strong desire for the Lord to release him from this strategy, even after other people had challenged him on it, the Lord didn't release him. And he felt clear that God had told him to use that strategy and stick with it for 13 years, 13 years of very little profit. if sounds like some years, maybe there wasn't profit. And I really started wondering, would I have had that kind of stamina? Would I have been able to handle it if people were talking badly about me? I'm guessing people probably were not very happy with Chris or his decision to stick with what seemed like a unsuccessful strategy. If folks were saying that I wasn't a smart business person, that I didn't know what I was doing, how would I have handled it? I don't know how I would have handled that. And and I found myself thinking, maybe maybe like me, you thought this too. You wondered, did Chris really hear from the Lord? I actually found myself questioning his judgment and his discernment. And then really in that place, the Holy Spirit started to convict me. I started thinking, who am I to judge that whether Chris was obedient not or not? And and even if he wasn't correct about what the Lord said, I know that the Lord honors those of us who faithfully obey Him. Like if I faithfully obey Him and I think that I am obeying Him, He's going to honor that. Chris clearly believed he was being obedient to what he heard from the Lord. And then it also struck me 
the scripture that says, blessed are those who are persecuted in my name. It's so actually relevant here. (laughs) People were probably persecuting him and saying, yeah, like you really heard from the Lord. Like, you know, and again, would I have passed that test or would I have given in to man's affirmation, man's validation and the affirmation validation that comes from profit, honestly. And then the last piece I was thinking about that the Holy Spirit really convicted me on was, is money and profit the only form of fruit that the Lord can and wants to produce in us and in our businesses? Of course not. Of course not. Like during this time, as Chris would say, the Lord grew his character, his perseverance, his faith. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of the story of Job and all that he went through. And yet he continued to trust the Lord, even though everything was falling apart around him. You know, Chris said that the trials he went through during that season prepared him for his current role and his current job. Now, to be clear, whenever I, just like whenever I read the book of Job, I think, oh Lord, I pray that you never ask me to learn through this kind of suffering. And just like, I often think about how blessed I am to live in a country where I'm not physically persecuted or have my life threatened because I worship Jesus. I hope I can learn through Chris's experience rather than needing to live through a similar experience myself. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Chris's story. What do you think? Were you skeptical like I was? Are you convinced or are you still not quite sure that the Lord would give us business strategies that don't lead to profitability? It's a challenging question to wrestle with. And I encourage you to take it to the Lord and ask Him to reveal His heart for you, for your business. And like Chris did, for specific strategies He might have for you. And I'd love for you to reach out. If you want to talk more about it, I'd just love to connect with you. Finally, one other thing that really resonated with me from my conversation with Chris. Chris told this story of of starting a blog and writing his day-to-day revelations as he ran his business. Did you catch that he didn't consider himself a writer? And did you also catch he wrote consistently for six years, six years. So what started out as kind of a hobby and a pretty small offering of his time that Chris gave the Lord used for big things, both in the kingdom and in the world through the business's ministry teaching in India and leading Chris to his role now at his way at work through people who happened upon his blog. He's using what we're giving him, friends. The Lord is using what we're giving him, even when we can't see it. I I needed that reminder. I pray it's a blessing to you as well. I wonder what seemingly small thing can you offer up to the Lord right now? Chris gave some time and thought to writing a blog. Maybe you should be writing too, or maybe for you, it's a small bit of your time to volunteer somewhere. Maybe it's taking the time to get up 15 minutes earlier and spend some time with the Lord each morning. Maybe you can start tithing to your local church. You know, scripture reminds us in Zechariah, do not despise the small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So what is the small thing that you can give? I would love to hear your story when you do. I can't wait to see what he does with what you give him. Hey, if you're loving this podcast, would you consider giving us a great review on whatever platform you listen to? It would mean so, so much to us. Well, one last time, a big thanks to Chris Patton for joining us and challenging us. We'll see you next time on The Faith Driven Leader.